Welcome to the One Church Home podcast. This podcast is directly tied to our weekly teachings. If OCH isn't your home church, we encourage you to get plugged into your local body. We pray the sermon blesses you as we press into the Word of God together. I'm going to share a story. Some of you have probably heard this before, and uh, it's hard to remember what all I've talked about, but... In my early 20s, I, uh, I wasn't on the uh, fast track to pastorship. Uh, it was, I have what you call a testimony. You know, it's, it's a story. It's a, it's a, uh, it was different back then. And, uh, and I remember one night, uh, a buddy of mine, we were down, I think at his parents' house in Atlanta. And it was late, like, you know, for me, I'm an 8.30 to bed guy. So it was late, it was like 10. And, uh, and I'll never forget, we, we just had this like epiphany that we wanted to see the sunrise at the beach. And that felt like a good idea. And so, you know, we did it. We jumped in the truck and I said, you know what? I've been to the beach like a thousand times. I know how to get to Destin or Panama City is where we were trying to find I know how to get there. I've been there so many times. And you see, the problem was I had always left from Nashville, never from Atlanta. But I'm like, how hard can it be south? So it's 10, 10.30 at night. We load up the truck. We take off. We want to see the sunrise at the beach. And, and we just start driving south. And we're going and going and going. And it's, it's just this long adventure and you know it starts all excited we're high-fiving and like this is awesome yeah we're we're just a couple of dudes heading to the beach and then like three hours in you're like I hate you what have we done this is a terrible idea but I'm still so confident that I can figure out how to get there that I that you know we don't need a map we don't need directions we don't need to talk to somebody just drive and so we're just driving and driving and driving and then all of a sudden, as the sun kind of starts to crest, you start thinking like, am I smelling ocean air? I think I am. I think I smell the ocean air. So I'm rolling the windows down and we're like high-fiving again. Like, I love you, bro. It's all good. This was awesome, you know. And I don't know if it was ocean air or cow manure, but, but we're driving. And I think we're at any moment going to see the beach just cresting over the horizon. And and finally, we just keep driving, and it's like 9 a.m., and I, like, I hate him again, you know? And it's a, it's a you know, experience. And we drive and drive and drive, and I just keep driving, and now it's 10, 11, lunchtime. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure we should have been there already. I'm very surprised how, how long uh, Georgia is. It's, I thought it was the same length as Alabama. It's different. And we're driving and driving and driving. And finally, you know, it's, it's lunchtime. I'm exhausted. You know, I can't, we need gas. So we pull into the gas station. And I'm like, you know, I don't want him to know I'm going to ask. But I'm like, in my head, I'm like, I'm gonna just going to ask him, are we close? And so we're in there and I'm paying. And I'm so confident that I actually say it in a way that's like, I'm assuming that I'm right. And so I'm like, man, I just can't believe how long it takes to get down here from Atlanta how far is it to the beach? And he just laughs. The beach? I'm like, yeah, man, we gotta be getting close. I can smell it in the air. And he just laughed. He goes, 
No, bro, the beach is 100 miles that way. You're in Alabama on the west side. I said, what? I had driven south and somehow turned right. And I just kept going all the way across the state of Alabama. So I did a big loop around Georgia, Alabama, and I was 100 miles north of the beach. I was devastated. And I had to go tell this guy, we're not going to the beach today. <laughs> and, and, and that story is always stuck in my mind as a remembrance of like, man, it's not bad to have a roadmap for life. It's also not bad to ask for help when you don't know where you're going. Because what happens when you don't know where you're going is you end up going places you never wanted to go. I didn't want to go to Alabama. I wanted to go to Panama City. The problem was, is I didn't look for the roadmap and the road signs that would direct me to the right location. So I ended up being somewhere I never wanted to be. And that is without question a story and a picture for so many believers today. But because we don't ask for help, because we don't build community, because we don't have people around us to help orient us about where we're going, and because we don't follow a roadmap, we don't know where we're going or how we're gonna get there, and we end up places we didn't ever wanna go. And we end up with a byproduct, a church, a community, a faith, a, a, a religion that we never intended to have. And, and, and beloved, I think it's so interesting that, that we do that and we act that way when we have a roadmap to life right here. Like, you know, I don't say that as some, some of you are going, okay, I, I had a feeling you were gonna say the Bible's our roadmap. It's like, but it's true. If we look to God's word, as an instruction for life and godliness, like it says it is, then all of a sudden we'll start realizing that God has, has laid out for us so many different ways in so many places what to expect, what to see happen, things that you can kind of earmark in your life and go, okay, here's where I'm at, like kind of orientation points. Like if you go into the mall and there's the big map and it says, you are here. If you don't know where you are, then how can you read the map? And, and so often in the word of God, he's giving us these little pictures about where to go and what to expect and what to, what to prepare for and how to know you're on the right path. And I think it's so interesting as we, as we continue to journey in the gospel of John, how all of a sudden now we're coming up on this section, this point where Jesus begins to speak. The words turn red in the scriptures. And, to, and today and next week, I wanna look at the first six things Jesus says as it pertains to anything. The, the first recorded words we have coming from Christ himself. And it's my conviction and my, my understanding. And, and just as I read it, you know, this is something you need to know about God too. He speaks at different levels in different ways in the same words. And, and, and it's so powerful and it's something unique to God he can be speaking to a practical need in the time and also to a, a, a spiritual need throughout eternity in the same breath, in the same word. Does that make sense? He has this capacity to speak at multiple levels at any given time. And, 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 and it's, it's this powerful way that he, he can talk about very functional things in the moment, right? And I'm not ripping things out of context, but I'm saying 
it's evident that, that there's multiple layers happening in his communication. And I think it's so interesting that if you just observe the first six things he said, as we're gonna do today in the, in the Gospel of John, well, we're gonna look at three today, that he covers the whole gamut of the Christian life. From the first inquisition to the final destination of the believer in the first six statements he uses in the book of John. And it's this powerful kind of arc, or really a circle, a cycle, a roadmap about what the Christian life is all about. And this is what I want to say, that Christian life is often never, it doesn't make any sense, it's just never, it's never linear. It's not point A to point B. It's oftentimes more of a circle. That's why you kind of see we have circles all over our, our logo, you know, one church home. It's like we didn't do it all just for that, but, but th there's just this constant theme because there's so many things in Christian life that are cycles. There's so many things in a Christian life that we, we start here, we get here, we get here, we move here, and then we start over again because God just taking us deeper and deeper. It's not, you know, up and to the right. It's kind of Christian life is more you know, circling and circling and circling and circling and circling. And so there's this thing that happens when we unpack these first six statements of Jesus that we begin to see this circle happen of the Christian life. I wanna start by looking at the first three today in John chapter one, verses 35 through 42. It says this, again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked, and Jesus, uh, he looked at Jesus as he walked and he said, behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. So, so get the story here. John has his disciples, they're out baptizing and all of a sudden Jesus comes walking up and John the Baptist says, hey, that's him. This is Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God. And so his two bros, his two followers are like, see him, dude, and they take off to follow Jesus. Don't let your pride get in the way. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what do you seek? Remember that. They said to him, Rabbi, which is translated and means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, second thing, come and you will see. And so they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two uh, who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which translated means the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said the third thing, you are Simon, the son of John, you shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. See, the first step in the cycle, the first step in the life of every believer, the, the first part of, of walking with Jesus always starts with a question. It always starts with an inquisition. It starts with, 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 with a question that has to be answered about one's self. And, and it's something that, that constantly comes up in the life of a believer, that God is constantly asking this question as we've seen it here and then we see it other parts in the scripture. But the first step everyone's journey with Jesus starts with is this utterance that the king of glory on earth is asking to these men, what do you seek? 
See, it appears, it appears that the evangelist is writing on two different levels right here. The question makes sense as a straightforward narrative. Jesus asked the two men what they're following him to articulate what's on their minds. But John the Baptist, uh, or John the evangelist also wants his readers to reflect on the deeper question, the logos, the Messiah, the original design. He's confronting those who make any show of being, uh, beginning to follow him and demands that they articulate what they really want in life. He, he's piercing right through any kind of cultural, uh, uh, obligatory, religious response. He's saying, listen, I don't want people to just follow me for no reason. I don't want people to just follow in my footsteps. I don't want people to just kind of tag along. I want you to answer the question, what do you really want from me? Is the question Jesus is asking to these two men, what is this, what is it you're looking for? So you have the first words captured by John asking disciples a clarifying question, owning where they are right then and what they really want. That's who our God is. That's an extraordinary and personal question. And it blows past cultural norms. He didn't start with an icebreaker. And start by going, hey guys, what's your favorite color? Tell me about your favorite cereal. He didn't, he didn't start by, by, by you know, asking the easy questions and kind of wading in. I mean, think about this. You, you see Jesus walking and you go, oh, I'm leaving John the Baptist, I'm out of here. I'm going with him. And he turns around and the first thing he says is, what do you want? That doesn't sound very sweet. I'm sure he didn't say it with that stank on it. He, what are you looking for? What do you really want here? What are you after? See, God doesn't force himself on us. He doesn't make assumptions. He doesn't deal in groupthink. He, he asks every person to find out where they really are before he takes a step further, before he casts vision and, 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 and brings them closer. He says, hey, I want you to own something. I want you to own this, not your parents' faith, not because you've always been in church, not because you've been around a long time, not because you listen to CCM music. I want you to answer the question, what do you really want from me? And y'all, if we take time to, to reflect on that, that's a powerful question that, that we all ought to answer. What are we really looking for here? Am I looking for a, a social environment where I can be surrounded by people who are, who'll help protect me? Am I looking for, what am I looking for as it pertains to Jesus? Because it's my belief that what you are looking for will determine how you experience It'll, it'll change the way we, we interact with him. It'll certainly change the expectations we place or the things we look to or the faith we bring in. See, what we're looking for changes our experience. And this isn't the first time God does this. It's not the first time God asks a question like this. If you'll go all the way back to Genesis chapter three in verse nine, we heard this. Then the Lord God called to man and said to him, where are you? You see, this is in a very different setting, but, but a very similar question. All the way back at the very beginning where the, the fall of man happens and the, and, 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 and the ladies ate first and then the men cowardly followed. It's like, it's, that happens, but you wouldn't have done any better. But 
This happens and, and all of a sudden they realize they're, they're naked and they're ashamed and they, they go hide themselves from God, which makes a ton of sense. That was a joke. No, but they're hiding from him. They're, 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 they're you know, you know, it's like they're his creation. He made them. He made everything. He breathed out the stars and they're going to hide behind a tree. You know, that'll, it's like your kids hiding from you in their room. And as Adam and Eve heard God walking, they hid from him. They, they run away. They kind of hide themselves away. They're ashamed of their, their guilt and, and they're fearful of now what will happen to them. And God asked them the same sort of orienting question. Where are you? Same God that breathed out the stars and created the heavens and the earth. Had he lost his creation? Was he up there going or walking through the garden going, oh my gosh, how did this happen? I don't know where they are. Of course not. But now that sin had entered the world, he began the story of redemption. He loved them so much that he required them to look at themselves and answer where they were. You see, life with Jesus, life following Jesus, life interacting with Jesus, life as a disciple of Jesus, it constantly and will, will always determine, it, it will drive us, not determine, it will, it will push us to answer that question, where am I at right now? That orienting question about what's really going on in me? What, have, I, have I let this thing become just a, a, a religious practice? Have I, have I allowed the, the ways of this world to sink into me and not, not be pushed back and not be, I don't wanna be conformed by this world. I wanna be renewed in my mind. And, and have I allowed myself to grow complacent or, 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 or passive or scared or intimidated? Or, or am I, like, where am I? is a question that believers ought to constantly be asking ourselves because it's a question Jesus starts by asking every single disciple. But every inquisition is followed by this. It's followed by an invitation. You see, the first thing Jesus did is he said, hey, what are you guys looking for? And then they asked, they said, well, you know, that freaks them out. They don't know what to say. So they go, uh, well, where are you staying? And the second thing we see from the king of glory is he says, first, what are you looking for? The second thing he says, think about the the ramifications of this. He says, what are you looking for? They say, where are you staying? And his second word was, come and see. So the inquisition turns into an invitation. And that's on the cycle of of life with Jesus. That that first he'll ask you a hard question and then he'll invite you into relationship in a way you've never experienced before. He, He wants to invite you to come near. Hey, I can't just tell you, go and live. He could have said that, but no, he says, no, come and see. You come and experience what I have for you. I don't wanna just be a God up in heaven orchestrating from above. I don't wanna be the God in heaven rocking on my rocking chair, oblivious to what's going on around me. I'm inviting you into life with me. Enter discipleship. This is the great problem I have though, y'all. And I'm not knocking churches here. I'm just saying, when you get hung up and you say, Man, the modern church, we're, 
We're so worried about altar calls that we don't live life with people. We're a discipleship church. The problem is both are in the scriptures. An an inquisition is evangelism. Will you decide to lay your life down and allow Jesus to be the Lord of your life? That is an invitation. That is an inquisition, a question that is asked of somebody. Will you follow Jesus? The declaration of the gospel is always necessary. It's the first step. The question has to be made. Will you or will you not follow him? If you won't ask the question, then how can people receive an answer? How can, like like the inquisition is a part of it. The proclamation of the gospel and the response, that's why we do that here. But the next thing that happens is he says, hey, come and see, come and be a part, come and live life with me, come to my house and see where I stay. So there's a question being asked and then an invitation to come and live. So so at our church, I don't wanna just be a discipleship church. I wanna be an evangelistic church and I wanna be a discipleship church. I want everything God has for us because it's all part of walking with Jesus. You can't do one without the other. And so we're not gonna push one down or say, no, we're we're gonna hold that line of balance between both. Come and see. You see, once the question is out of, way, out of the way, the journey starts. It never stops at the altar. It can't stop at the first decision. It can't stop at, you know, so, so as, a, as, a, as a non-believer going from death to life, saying yes to Jesus, like we've seen so many people do over the last few months, to go from death to life, all of a sudden, you know, that comes at a question. And it's an invitation then into a new life with Jesus. And so then as a believer, I don't know about you, maybe this is the same cycle God's used in my life where he's asking me questions. What are you seeking? What are you looking for? That question always leads, it's a beckoning. It's it's an invitation. Hey, what's going on in you, Ian? Doesn't, it's not, you know, when I say that, if I called out somebody there and say, you know, Jeff, what's going on with you? Be like, why are you gonna ask in front of all these people? I'm fine. Right? That's not the way God's doing this. God's not up in heaven going, hey, what's going on with you? What's going But he goes, in, in a sweet, gentle way, he says, hey, what's happening inside of you? What's going on in you? And that, that inquisition, that question that he asks is never just flat. It's never just stops there. But just like the altar isn't the end of someone's life with Jesus, it's an invitation to take a next step with him. And so as he starts to to inquire about me and and ask me what's going on inside of me and and, and point to the scriptures to illuminate what's happening in in my life, he, he then says, now come and see, come and walk with me, come and experience the life that I have for you. Come and see. This dialogue, this discourse, this invitation, it shows us this complete picture of of inquisition to invitation. He doesn't just want to save you. He wants to invite you into a whole new life that's full of challenges and adventures and beauty and pain. The way we say it here is what John 10.10 says, that the thief came only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I, Jesus, came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. 
You want to experience the abundant life. It's not going to be, you know, just having all of it, like all of a sudden I'm following Jesus and, and man, I've, I've had this great experience and he just poured out all the blessings from heaven because I started tithing and I never had any problems. I never had any issues. I just, I just, it just was easy street forevermore. That's a lie from hell. It's not true. The people that I know that follow Jesus the closest have a life you wouldn't touch with a 10 foot pole. They've gone through more, they've sacrificed more, they've done more, they've laid their life on the altar and been gutted. And yet, they would tell you it's worth it. Because this life is promised that we're gonna have troubles. The word says you're gonna have problems with this life. The only differentiating factor is will you do it with Jesus or without him? Because he says, Don't be a fear, because if you know me, you know this, that I have overcome the world. And so the question isn't, will troubles come? The question is, will you do it with him? Will you come and see? Will you experience it with him? Or will you do it on your own? I don't know about you, but I don't want to do it on my own. I can't do it on my own. And so this inquisition leads to an invitation to come and see, come and taste, come and experience the abundant life in Jesus Christ. And then the third thing Jesus says in this small discourse is as the disciples begin to, to, to flow in. He's, this whole section we're about to go over this week and next is all about the calling of the disciples. The third thing that happens, happens to this man named Simon. This is a part of living with him that's inevitable. You can't stop it. It's impossible. The only way you can stop it is by lacking uh, to respond to the invitation. If you, if you actually say yes to the invitation and you actually start following him, this next part has to happen. You can't do anything about it. You will change. You will become something new. Now, you can quench it by like running the other way, but the longer you walk with him, The longer you follow him, it's not like you're gonna go to the store and pick out new outfits. It's like he's gonna shape you into something you never thought you could become. Galen's in here, right? Where's he at? Did he leave? Tea time, yes, he told me that. I do this every week, he leaves early. Tell him I said that. Galen knew me when I was in high school. You did too. I'm a different human being than I was in high school. I promise. (laughs) My grandma's watching right now are saying, amen. Now, am I perfect today? No. People that know me today, no, no. That's amen, he needs more. But the reality is, is it's, it's inevitable that when we follow him and, and that we, when we, we say yes to the invitation, when we answer the hard question, that he starts to transform us into something altogether different, altogether new, that, that the change and transformation is an inevitable part of the process of following Jesus. And here we have this next step, this reality that when we walk with him, we become something new, not all at once, not, not, this isn't something that happens that we follow Jesus and then all of a sudden it's like, bam, you're new and it's done. 
That's not how it works. Thank God, I just die. There was too much change that had to happen with me. But slowly and surely, he, he shapes this. He takes the sandpaper, that's some of you guys, and molds that. He's got to carve this huge chunk off. But he starts shaping us and molding us and turning us into something we've never been before. And the longer we say yes to the, to the inquisition and the longer we say yes to the invitation, he continues to shape and mold us and, and make us into something we weren't before. And it's happening on many levels. Peter got a new name. See, Simon became Peter. Now, those names don't, you know, mean a ton right now. I'm sure we could dive in and dissect those names, but I want you to remember something. He says, Peter, this is the man on whom I'll build my church. This is the guy who, who he's gonna see at the beginning of, 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 of uh, sorry, at the beginning of Acts in chapter two. This is the guy who stood up and proclaimed the gospel and pierced the hearts of men and set fire to the, to the early church with the unction of the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit like we talked about last week. And all of a sudden, this same guy who was a, a fisherman, a normal average Joe, nothing crazy, nothing special, he says, you, I'm gonna name you something different because that name means a rock and upon that rock I'll build my church so he renamed him he he gave him a new identity he he spoke a new life over him he transformed him and prepared him prophetically for the calling of God upon his life and beloved as we answer the the inquisition as we say yes to the invitation then we the byproduct will be transformation we will become different kind of people the longer we walk with him, the more we desire our change. The more, the more our desires change, the more our preferences change. What you watch, what you eat, what you drink, where you go, what you enjoy will start to change. As you walk with him, his ways become better and you realize how deceptive and broken sin is and how beautiful his ways are. You know, there were so many things that like, I just didn't realize we're a problem early in my life with Jesus. I remember like a year into marriage going to my wife and being like, hey, I think this is a sin. And she was like, are you, you're just realizing that? Like I was a slow learner. But no, there was just like all of a sudden you're going, God's kind of shaping me saying like, hey, I probably shouldn't do that anymore. What are your thoughts? She's like, oh, duh. But he, his graciousness was slow because he goes, hey, this one needs a lot of work. We're gonna really ease him into the water. But, but right, it, it's, this, it's this reality that the longer you walk with him, the more you start to realize, wait, that's gotta go. I, I, I might like that, I might enjoy it, it might sound good, it might, it might feel good. That's gotta go, why? Because it's prohibiting me from experiencing the abundant life that God has given to me. It's distracting, it's taking away, it's pulling back, it's, it's casting down. And God says, hey, I want you to, hey, let's pull that one out right now. Let's get rid of this one right now. Let's kind of take this away right now because the more I do that, the more it changes me and I become something new. You see, transformation may start with a name change, 
but it realizes that we need a change at every level down to the way we even think. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, where my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as heaven, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, beloved, we've got to realize that the more we follow him, the more we start to get transformed by him, the more he's gonna put a different kind of thinking in our brain. It's not just the outward expression of who we are, but it's the inward reality of the way we are, the way we think, the way we exist, the what we do. And he starts to transform us and change us at that, at that base level. And it reshapes everything about our life. And beloved, this is just the beginning. The reality is that Jesus shows us these road markers, this kind of map to Christian life, to orienting moments to say, oh yeah, I'm on the right path. If you're a follower of Jesus and you've been following him for a while and you've been disoriented and unsure about what I'm doing and where I'm going and how to get there, and all of a sudden he starts beckoning you with that question, what are you after? You might all of a sudden go, wait a second, I'm on the right path. Because that's gonna to lead to an invitation that's gonna to lead to a transformation that's gonna make you more like him. And so beloved, as we start to continue to, not start to, as we continue down this road, no matter where you find yourself on this circle, again, not like a linear road, but in, a, in this cycle of life, in this cycle of walking with Jesus, we need to be looking for these moments. We need to be seeking these moments out to, to identify where we are and know where we need to go. It starts with an inquisition. It leads to an invitation. It ends in transformation. It doesn't end there, actually. It continues. We'll talk more next week. But this is the way it goes. We've got to trust the process. We've got to trust his word. We've got to trust the words of Christ himself. And never forget that it, it's us that needs to change, not him. Beloved, if we, that's a whole sermon. We're already past, but... If you find yourself confronted with a reality between you and your feelings or beliefs or God and his will and ways, you're the problem, I promise. What you think, what you feel is irrelevant in comparison to the word of God. And some of you are like, I don't like this church anymore, but that, that we believe that here. Listen, we're not trying to pack the house. We're trying to feed the sheep. And the truth is, is like, man, that what we think or our interpretation of reality is irrelevant in the eyes and the lens of an almighty God who's given us his holy word. And, and so we look upon this word and say, God, your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Therefore, if my thoughts are wrong, if my thoughts are off and, and, and out of orientation with yours, I'm the problem. So Lord, help me, search me, find me, align me into your image. Transform me. So wherever you find yourself today, I wanna to tell you to lean in all the way. No icebreakers. Let him do what he does and watch how you start to taste and see and experience the abundant life he came to afford you. And come back next week for the last three. Amen? Amen. God bless you guys. Have a fantastic week. I look forward to seeing you really, really soon.